Look at this beautiful new Lionsgate logo. It's it's wonderful. Look at it. Look how it gleams it's like something gold. out of Metropolis. And then it comes through this keyhole. So who are we? Uh, I'm David Slade, director of Hard Candy, and um, the film you're about to see, and you are? I am Brian Nelson, the screenwriter of Same, and if you haven't watched the film first without this commentary, stop right now. And, and there's the Vulcan logo. I want to redo that logo because I think it doesn't. They and we also should have a logo for Launchpad Productions. Because Which is David Higgins. Well, he gets his little credit here coming up right now. I know, but but everything uh, good th should be said about Launchpad and David there, there Higgins. There is. He's where In association with Launchpad Productions, David Higgins, the producer whose initial concept this whole film was, and without him we wouldn't be here now. Ellen Page. I want to talk. take a second to talk about this title sequence because... Um, First of all, I was really fortunate to get it. Momoko, who are a very, very well-respected um, title design company in London, pretty much approached us and said, you know, we've heard about this film and we want to help. And we were like, well, we got like $1,000 and we can't really afford you. And they were just like, well, can we see the film? And um, so we showed it to them. And, oh, but I, I'm going to say something else about Jean-Claude Montserrat too. And they just went, we love it and we'll do it. And I, and they said, what do you want? And I said, well, imagine you're Sol Bass and try and tell some of the story. And they went, great! And they did this beautiful, beautiful title sequence for us and we're very, very grateful. But the thing I was going to say about Jean-Claude Montserrat was um, that colorists, you know, the guys who basically balance the colors digitally these days, um, have a lot to do with the way a film looks more and more these days. And they just don't get front title no, credits. No, they don't get front title credits. And, I, and, I, and this is probably one of the first films that where, we've, where we give um, the colorist the front title credit. So remember, uh, it all began here. Yeah. Jean-Clément Soray. I think, you know, think um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet beat me to it with um, a very long engagement. I think he, he did it there. Now, the original script began with actually almost twice this amount of uh, chat room dialogue, but we realized that was just a bit much to ask an audience to sit through uh, reading text message after text message. So we did we razored it down to what was barely necessary to make this work. Yeah. Also, one of the things is we shot this film, um, I'll say it up front, in like 18 and a half days, which is a really tough and tight schedule. We didn't have a second unit, so this particular sequence you were watching, we tried and we tried to shoot this at the end of every day, like off a monitor, and we had this, these poor tech guys from Vulcan who'd built this system, and, 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 and we were just so exhausted by the time we came to it. In the end, we just fucked it all off and, and, uh, and computer-generated it. Um. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, Vulcan it's guys. Um, but we that's partly why the the typing is so flawless here as well. I know. Well, we tried to do our best to it, and, and um, because it if, was, it, if uh, it were me, instant messaging, there'd be a lot of like reverse backspace typing corrections. I know, but you know that would make that wouldn't make for compelling drama. <laughs> <laughs> no, real life, the documentary. But version. Um, I have to give great um, thanks to uh, Duncan Malcolm, who is the special effects guy in London who I've worked with for many years and who's a good friend who um, pretty much offered to do this for us for free when he saw the troubles we had. Oh, the cake. The notorious little, cake. Little anecdote here is that we had all these beautiful cakes that we wanted, and, and originally the script said that we track across all of these beautiful cakes and end on, and then we got them and they were such low, we were such low budget that they just looked terrible, these cakes. So we ended up just 
you know, Fulcrum's razor, the the, the simplest. Occam's uh, razor. Is yes. it Occam's? Yeah, the, the the simplest solution is 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 often the best. Indeed. One close up, one cake. <laughs> there was also an early line in this sequence where she she bites into the. Uh, into the food, and she just says, O-O-T-S, orgasm on the spot. And this was highly debated about whether yeah. a teenage girl would say this, although I had heard a teenage girl say this. And enough. I was all for it. However, I think ultimately it, it was something where we finally decided to cut it because we were concerned that Haley shouldn't be too aggressive in her initial approach to Jeff, that she should... Uh, fade back and, and play the innocence more than, than the sexuality that she later amps starts to amp up. Indeed. I am a fan of Monty Python episodes. Yeah, this is all your text here, Ryan. Mm -hmm. That wall behind um, Patrick there, I'm just going to say, just as a little anecdote, that's the bathroom wall. We actually went on location. We, we tried our best to shoot this in sequence, because, of course, oh, Gilbert John, damn it, this is moving so fast. Gilbert was so pissed that he only got one take, cause he, but he nailed it so perfectly in mm -hmm. that one take. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was like, give me another shot. And I'm like, no, it's perfect. Yeah. And we're so behind, we're going to move on. But, I know. But, um, deserves more to do. He deserves more to do. But, Bill, Gilbert, if you ever hear this, you did a fantastic job, sir. Fantastic job. Uh, it was a testament to your fine acting skills that we only needed one take. But going back, that wall... We went out on location and we, and we shot this last, this whole sequence. Um, I think this was the last day. And otherwise we shot in sequence because, of course, we needed this relationship to build between something. the actors. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say two things. We just saw Donna Maurer there. That's Aaron Kraft, who actually was one of my students at USC, who we, we pulled in because we needed a young-looking girl on on very short notice. And she dove in and agreed to show up at a coffee house and... and let our photographer shoot her at a moment's notice, and so so props to Aaron. Tragedy. Oh, uh, no, that's well, my dad. He's letting me audit one of his med school courses, right? Her dad teaches, actually, in the script at UCLA, but we had legal clearance issues. Clearance and, issues. And so we fabricated a school called UCW because we thought, well, the only initial we can think of that feels fluid that hasn't been used by many of the endless UC campuses is UCW. What? You thought since we've been chatting for three weeks that you know For those of you who don't know, clearance is when um, we, the people who in legal are worried that everyone's going to sue you for defamation. They have to go out and they have to check that you know, if you use a name, that they're happy that you're using it and so on and so forth. And that's something that's going to come up a little later in the film, too. In fact, his name, his name yeah. initially was Jeff Hill. And there are a lot of Jeff Hills and they didn't want to be associated, I imagine. And actually the spelling of Jeff uh, Culver. Changed as well. Yeah, we yes. changed the spelling of Jeff Culver's name to Jeff Culver. In the end, he's a, he turned out with some Russian Russian descent. It, yeah, it looks it looks very odd, but that was a, a spelling that we could, uh, that the lawyers That we could cool get away with. with. Ah, the the, the, the the American legal system. We love it so much. It, it makes our lives so much easier. So happy, though, that we did get clearance to use this photo. Helper. Who would have believed it? Uh, the, this painting and, and, and the photographic reproduction of Nighthawks. Yeah, that was a great, great thing. Mm -hmm. 
Just picking up on what I was saying earlier, we went out on location and we came back and this, most of the set was built to some very specific specifications, but there was no back wall behind Patrick, so we ended oh. up pulling the bathroom wall behind him, as is often the case on, hmm. on, on independent films. You just get what you can and, and, and run with it. You know, It was actually the toilet wall, I think, we, we used there. This is so unfair. What? I mean, this is when things happen, uh, in the middle of the night, by which time I am completely out of the scene. Life as a teenager. I just hate having to depend on Lindsay to drive me everywhere, you know? You'll be driving for oh, you. Oh, here she talks about, you know, all the things that she's like to see, like Elizabeth Wurzel at USC. The script initially mentioned uh, a dance group called Palabolus, and <laughs> when when we uh, auditioned actors, that was always one of the acid tests. Was we, could tell, we could tell who had done their research, who had done their homework, by whether they could pronounce Palabolus. Song and a little louder, please. Yeah, I can't pronounce Palabolus. Yeah, finally nobody could but me, so we finally cut it and just stayed with Elizabeth Wurzel and Goldfrapp about which probably more later. Does that hurt, Brian? Uh, no, 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 it doesn't. I have no investment in Goldfrapp one way or the other. Good job. You are just trying to distract me from that Because I'm going to take credit for that bad line. You, you should. No, I, I will just so we'll come don't, to it. Just so you don't get the... Get, get the I, I, yeah, I don't, the I don't need the extra, blowback. Yeah, you see the same extra who was also in an earlier scene. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, again, a testament to independent filmmaking. We didn't have that many extras. <laughs> Maybe you should make that clerk wonder what's going on over here. In your dreams, little girl. Patrick is so great in this scene because he, yeah. he does seem like, you know, a, 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 a reasonable guy who who doesn't push the boundaries too much, you know, who uh, you, you ask yourself, gee, what's going on with him because he is meeting this underage girl. And yet at the same time, uh, this is why we were so happy to have him in this role because he never villainized the character. He never took the easy choice to make him a, a, a smarmy, sketchy guy. Mm. That orange wall was originally green, mm. and it looked terrible. And uh, no disrespect to anybody, everybody was just running like crazy. And um, I remember going shouting, get me a Pantone chart now, please, somebody. Get that orange. Someone go out and buy like five liters of that orange. Anyway. Not that that's very interesting. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> no, I also have to acknowledge both Ellen and Patrick for these massive amounts of text. They probably loved this elevator scene because yeah, they, they didn't, didn't get... have to talk these lines and lines and lines that I kept writing. And it's just a testament yeah. to them for the amount of dialogue they would master on a daily basis. And I'm often, I'm often asked also how you managed to do such a great um, fake of an elevator scene with the way the light and everything plays. And I'm... I'm going to give that secret away. Okay. We got in an elevator. Ooh. And we went up in the Brilliant. elevator with a handheld camera. It Brilliant. was just me and the DP. I was kind of like whispering dialogue, whispering direction. They were just kind of looking around. And tell people where this scene is shot. This scene is shot on the roof of the Arclight Cinemas, the place the film will open. Um, tonight, actually. Tonight. The yeah. day we're recording this. The day we're recording this. So we have no idea what the hell lays in store <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so that's why we're so kind of laid back. We're not particularly like yelling and screaming or... Uh, but yes, this is the Arclight Cinema. Oh, and by the way, this would be laid back for us. The fact that we haven't stopped talking for a second, this is like the laid back version of yeah, us. Yeah, I do apologize for our um, vocality. But I guess that's what voiceovers are all about. Well, after all, if they're going to have us do that, they're going to get what they paid for. Yeah, indeed.
And here, where are we here? We're at Griffith Park Hills, um, and we shot this on our half day. We had 18 and a half days, and originally our financiers were like, now nah, you got to have 18 days. Um, and uh, me and the, the, the fantastic Barry Wass, the legendary Barry Wasserman, the, Wasserman, the um, first AD, I'll talk about more later, um, we just we just couldn't make the schedule work because we had to go out and shoot some driving. And... Um, and we checked the budget, and we saw they had overtime. We said, look, we'll trade you for the overtime. And, of course, they didn't believe us. But I think about halfway through the shoot, when we'd used like an hour of overtime, um, they gave us this half day. And, we and that's a great testament it. to also to Barry and to you and how strongly you worked was that, yes, that the overtime had not been used. Uh, you know, th this uh, this film shot so efficiently because you were able to use your own crew. We, we had, this is true. We had some financing companies making us offers but they said you know you'll you'll have to use our crew and and uh, uh, David and the other producers David Higgins and so forth knew that uh, if if this film was going to be made in 18 days then David Slade had to make it with the people that he could work with as, hand ma as many as we could yeah I mean I have to say great respect to your Willems and uh, the director of photography who just went way beyond the call of duty. Um, I'm going to talk about it something a little later. And um, Walter Bithel, his, 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 um, his gaffer, who, again, just went, again, I mean, with the number of lights we ended up having in this tiny little stage we shot this in. They had to run cables to the next building to get power enough for all the lights in this film. And it was so hot that we ended up, like, we had this like thermometer that would tell us when the um, sprinklers were going to go off, and we had to just shut down every time that, that we got to that heat. <laughs> some some scenes were lit so brightly that the paint would blister on the floor in parts of the studio. It was just crazy. Yeah, but it it was all very calculated. Look now, that... now this this kitchen scene, we we did lose a couple of lines here, although. Uh, uh, one thing I want to say is again, uh, David and the actors were so faithful to the script that, you know, if you add up the number of lines that we had to lose because of timing or one reason or another, it might come to maybe three pages. This is what you see is pretty much the script, but we did lose a couple of things here and there. Um, she 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 looks in the refrigerator and originally she sees like a salad with saran wrap over it, and that's why she says healthy dude, but. You know, we didn't have time to make a salad. I remember someone saying, like, oh, it's going to be 80 minutes long. And the thing is, and this is a testament to, to, to Brian's writing here, is that, damn, it's hard to cut because there's so many subtexts running that you cut it here and there, and then suddenly two-thirds way through the film, you've got a scene that doesn't make sense anymore. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant, but it's also restrictive editing and but we did and that's realize a good that we, thing. We did realize that we could lose the um, the whole salad business because it, mm. it wouldn't be hard to believe that, of course, people have saran wrap in their homes. And Indeed. you'll know why we need to, uh, if you've seen the film, you know why we need to establish saran wrap. Here's a big density change. <laughs> <laughs> See that? That's a little clue. The way she goes dark there. Um, that's actually a technique that, as far as I know, never really been done before. We didn't dim lights. We actually brightened lights. And then when we digitally colored it, we actually um, brought the walls down so that you could still read the expression on the face. And I remember Jean-Clément Serret, uh, the colorist we talked about in the titles, you know, who a fantastic colorist who I've worked with for many, many years, who pretty much built this little machine f for us because of the, all the things I wanted to do with the color in this film. And um, 
it was his suggestion because I, I wanted to do this and I wasn't sure how. And he told, you know, he said, oh, we'll brighten the walls and I'll, I'll recorrect everything down. And so I did it. And then um, I said, you know, I, I remember someone saying, you know, this has never ever been done in cinema before. And he was so pissed off because it was so complicated to actually do when he actually did it. And he was and it will never be done again, <laughs> he said. Because <laughs> it was really hard to actually do when he actually, the theory was, was sound, but the, the practice was really hard work. Yeah, he had to pretty much frame by frame eye correct the yellow to be exactly the I same. I love how incandescent the orange juice is in this scene, too. It feels yeah. like that drink glass of milk in Hitchcock's suspicion. And I love uh, Ellen in this whole sequence. She's she's metered out her performance so that you, you, know, you get a real sense of, all right, here's when she's had one drink and mm. here's when she's had two drinks. And, and uh, Patrick, for that matter, the same way. You know, there's a, a little tiny anecdote here. That laugh, which is so realistic and, and nice at the end mm -hmm. there, was actually because Patrick's stomach rumbled so loud <laughs> that it was actually hilarious. And we actually, of course, cut out the stomach grumbling sound but kept the performance. Not that she wouldn't have given such a sure, fantastic sure. performance anyway, but I just thought it was funny. <laughs> we were just like, cut, print. Use it, absolutely. You know? So... You're not arrested for photographing them like this. I'm very aware. You want to say a word about the photographs around? Uh... Yeah, those photographs were taken by a fantastic photographer called Yuren Mock, who um, essentially allowed us access to her portfolio. Um, and her, her photography, besides being done by a woman, was kind of perfect. And it also had this kind of really... Um, relevant contemporary quality about it. And she went out and she took all these photographs of, of the actress. Um, oh, God, what do we call this actress? Well, now she is Odessa Ray. That's at the time of the question. At the yeah. time of the filmmaking, was, she was known as Jennifer, Jennifer Holmes. Holmes. And Jennifer Holmes is... Um, she has I think we should call her Odessa. Her I, I guess Odessa. you're right. Yep. I think that's what she'd want to be called. Um, Odessa Ray, who changed her name. And she went out and photographed all of that stuff there as well, and so did a wonderful job too of, of both it making it authentic. But it was just something nice because they they were ambiguous. These photographs they weren't quite lascivious, but they were also unsettling. There was always something about the face would be obscured, mm -hmm. or yeah, they, they're they're evocative in in just a very gently disturbing way. Uh, they're really remarkable. This bedroom here is the only kind of reference um, in terms of, like, references, which was the, the great fashion photographer Guy Badan, who, from, you know, from the 60s, who tragically died quite recently. But um, he would always paint things in all of these incredibly constricted hues. And I just kind of... This is, his bedroom is based on one photograph of Guy Badan's, and um, I just kind of felt like Jeff would have some kind of respect for Guy Boudin and, and, and so, you know, that's that's why it's all this disgusting fleshy pink. Mm. Um. <laughs> no, it's 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 a it's a very sort of provocative bedroom color. But it's but it's it it's it you know, it, it's kind of meant to be his respect for a particular if you know the photographer's work mm -hmm. you'll know what we're talking about. I guess everyone kinda has a Janelle, right? I guess. We should say maybe right now she's wearing this hoodie and mm. much has been made of, of this red hoodie and, and people saying, oh, so is it like Little Red Riding Hood and yeah. so forth. And really what it came down to was was that uh, Jennifer Johnson, our wonderful costumer, you know, brought in a number of pieces and, and, and uh, you know, David liked that piece. And, and uh, Ellen felt comfortable. Ellen says, you know, you I, know like, most... I like hoodies. 
but but it was not actually an intentional Red Riding Hood statement at all. That was something that people have brought to the film later. No, of course we could do it later on. We could have gone, oh, well, let's change the color of the hoodie. But it was like, well, well, we have it. Let's go with it. No, we would call it part of the unconscious poetry of the film Indeed. to sound like a... And, uh, and Jean Clément would say, why did you make the damn hoodie red when the walls are red? How the hell am I supposed to separate that? But, yes, the red hoodie. And Most of the well. money went on Patrick's clothing and then no. we just had like 20 dollars left when it, when it Note came to that Ellen's. she puts her own music on yeah, here. That's, she that's a very she is taking control of events here. Yeah. It feels like, you know, she's maybe getting deeper into Jeff's web, but in fact, you know, she's she set this up because she knows where he is and how much drugs he's Okay, here's, one, here's, I, I got to, sorry, I want to interrupt. You got to look for a subliminal shot in the sequence, and I'm not going to tell you where it is. Oh, lovely. There's a subliminal shot that not even the producers know about. But they I don't do know now. that I know about it. You don't even know about it. This is a subliminal shop coming up any second. But I'm not going to tell you one. You can have fun looking for it. Uh, nobody knew, knows about it until now. And this is, I'm opening Pandora's box by saying, yes, um, there was a subliminal shop. Patrick is weighted down here so that, so that his uh, collapse will look even more thudding and heavier than it is. Which is all due to our, oh that last shot, um, we actually literally had to digitally paint out the camera assistant who was in shot. Uh, <laughs> again, absolute testimony. And this shot here, to to the testimony to our effects guy, and that last shot there, we did like eleven takes of that shot, and it was down to Yo Willems who we we did literally did like three to five takes of pretty much everything because we didn't have the time and the money. But he just wanted to get the focus right on it. And um, sure. on the 11th take, he got it perfect. And then in the edit room, we just, we like, we like take three. Also, that last shot of Haley, you know, something that was going through my head when I was writing was mm. actually, I, I'm a huge fan of The Shield on FX. And, and uh, the, the ending of the pilot of The Shield ended with uh, um, Reed Johnson's character being shot. And... And uh, Vic Mackey uh, walking and just standing over him and staring at at his body and and that relationship between the victim and what you've just done to them is something that that I very much had in my mind in writing that moment. I just wanted to apologize to Yo because he took such pains to to get that in focus and we ended up using like third take, which wasn't in focus, but it just worked better. I'm sorry, Yo. I love the color of this sequence coming back. To consciousness. Yeah. No, that. No, um, we had to be very careful not to show what this medicine is there. Again, clearance. All products, you know, you make a, a vodka bottle that looks like one you know, but it's mm. not exactly the same thing, etc. Later, you'll see a bleach bottle. And I literally had to turn the thing around because it said bleach in such huge letters yeah, the, that it was just <laughs> a little too plain. It was just to like stand. a little bit too much. Again, the joys of. Um, low-budget independent filmmaking, you just basically get the props that are in the prop guy's truck. Right. <laughs> you don't get somebody who perfectly designs that perfect bleach bottle for you like like they can with the, in those big movies. This is how we're going to play. This was actually, I think, um, Patrick's idea, that line there. If we, it's, if we're, this, is, we're, this is how we're going to play. And I, I actually really like that, that, that he comes to still Thinking, sexually... well, maybe it's, yeah, yeah maybe it's still uh, along those lines, yeah. yeah. Mapping out this particular arc of realizing 
well, now wait, at what point am I really so alarmed that I've got to fight my way out was, was a delicate business and, and yeah, required a little bit of, of revision here. We cut a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, yeah, there was a sequence where she like looks through uh, his drawers and sees inane and stuff a... that doesn't explain who he is, like an Albert Bell baseball card. I know, I'm so, so sorry about losing that. Oh, that's all right. We just had to get this thing down from well, four exactly, hours to, exactly. to 104 minutes or whatever it is. Patience. I love this. This is just this lovely kind of almost documentary realism to the way they, they, they're talking here and they talk over each other. And, and we did our best not to do any ADR and keep all of the sound um, production sound so that it just had a real natural feel to it. This is just so important. I mean, sometimes, you know, you feel like as, as a writer, gee, do you have to map out here's where they overlap and and it was just so wonderful to know that uh you know that david was working with the actors in a way that yes you you didn't have to dictate every little nuance of the lines because they had a partnership where they would find these things yeah we had five days of rehearsal and, and brian came in and you know worked with us a little bit on the odd line here and there just you know because sometimes it comes out no matter how nice it looks Oh, she makes page. that reference to a cop show where she, where the murderer was Here found through. Uh, I remember Patrick saying, how many more takes like this do we do? And I go, okay, we do one from over here, one from over here. Okay. <laughs> right, right. She makes that reference to a cop show where the, the proof, the evidence was found in, in the lint trap. And actually that would be an episode of this German police show that I worked on once called uh, Wolf's Revere. Vacationing in Santa Barbara. Still, I love that realization on his face that he's just slowly going. That's right. Oh she, my God. She has targeted him so, so well deep. that the neighbors are gone and there is no way out. What's so interesting too is the way Ellen's face changes. I mean, in this sequence, you know, it's she's sort of you know hard and unrelenting, and in other scenes, you know, she's. Her, her just facial structure seems almost completely different. I went into other chat rooms. But these camera moves also very, very mapped out here. He's just, you know, there's a bit of isolation here because he just knows he's fucked. As he's just gain, just, just, just dawning in his mind, I'm so fucked. And he's just still trying to talk his way out of it. You and I connected. Oh, We'll have to talk about these, this, this gold frat business. Well, yeah, so I had been listening to some internet radio at the time that I was writing this, and and I didn't have any particular investment in, in gold frat. It just seemed to me like an obscure band that was along the lines of of Sigaros, which I, a lot of my USC students have responded to. And I thought, well, let's let's try it. It's, it's, it's not personally uh, my favorite nor my worst favorite music. It's, it's, it's there, but... And, and that, Here it and, comes. Yeah, and and busted. And being from England and, and Goldfrapp being an English band, I kind of was a little more. I, I don't want to say anything other than, yeah, they're more of a pop band in England to me. And here's my line. Fucking hate Goldfrapp. Don't blame Brian for that. That was me. <laughs> um, it was the last line it was, it that was, was on shot the in the film. We were we were we were leaving the soundstage, and David said, just. Let me, take let me can one I have one second. More? Yeah. 
And we shot it again against the room with the bathroom wall because it's all we had. Right. <laughs> Graded it to match. Um, I just wanted to say I fucking hate Goldfrapp because there's so much <laughs> fawning about it, you know, and I just really, you know, not that I personally hate them, but it just it just really was the, but it's what an she would say. thing for her. Absolutely. It's, what, it's what she would say. It's one more twist of the knife, so to speak. I love this line here. And I will say again, too, I was writing this film in the um, fall of 2002 and the spring of 2003. And at that point, we did not know that we would have a president who would actually have to convince us about, you know, what constitutes torture and what does not. Yeah, torture. There's all kinds of torture these days. You know, there's the torture that's okay. There's the torture that's kind of okay. Then there's the kind of other torture that's kind of not okay. And there's a good torture, and I could go on. We find ourselves in this this very tricky time of slippery slopes where people think that uh, the ends can justify the means. And that's pretty much what this film is about, and, you know, in the sense of, of taking responsibility for your actions um, more than it is about, I mean, anything else, really. I mean, these are very complicated things. I, I know, Brian, you talk, you talk once about the whole kind of vigilante model and the Charles Bronson movies in which, you know, things are very simplistic and easy and, and, and how, you know, how we're just not this vigilante movie because, you know, would you want to talk? And well, we're, we're in, intended in a way to be uh, a movie that, among other things, interrogates the vigilante film that, that asks, well, you know, how much is too much? I mean, you know, personally, for example, I am a sucker for Batman, but if there were literally some person who, for reasons that I did not know, was dressing up in strange clothes and taking out criminals and disposing of them in ways that we did not know, that would be pretty damn unsettling and something would have to be done right away. And that ambivalence that we have, we have an attraction towards vigilante characters, and yet if we follow the logical consequence of that, what does that say about us? It was something that is is very important to explore in this film. This speech that she's making right now mm -hmm. is an interesting sequence as well because uh, there were a couple of times where uh, someone or another might suggest to us, gee, do we really need this speech of hers? It just it feels so preachy. And yet a couple things to say about it. Uh, one, David, you've remarked that, you know, because she is a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. She will preach. Yeah, she's 14. She's preachy. That doesn't mean that we are advocating being preachy as, a, as filmmakers, but this is her character. You know, she's a 14-year-old kid with no shades of gray yet. I mean, just they're beginning to, sh to, to, to shade in, but essentially it's black and white. But it's also the sort of thing that, frankly, needs to be explained more because we do have this culture that that likes to sexualize teenage girls and even younger girls and and then somehow makes it the fault of those girls rather yeah. than the fault of the people who are manufacturing those clothes I'm not sure yet and it was so striking to us because we knew that we were hitting a nerve with speeches like that because we we asked actresses to come in and read from that speech and time and again uh, the actresses who would come in and read would 
would look at me in auditions and say, thank you, thank you for writing this, because it's something that needs to be said. One talk a little bit about the editing here and the um, phenomenal editor, Art Jones, who um, he's cut many a commercial and, and video, and, and, and then I worked with him for many years, and this is the first feature film, but we had so little coverage in this scene that he kind of breaks all the rules of editing, yet it still works. There's all these jump cuts that just, just kind of go all over the place. This is one where she just shakes her head and it cuts to almost the same shot, only a different take. But he just, such a brilliant editor that he just makes it work, you know, and I think there are very few in the world who can do that. And I'm just thankful um, that Art agreed to, to, to cut this film. We did have a little Bill Clinton reference in this where, mm. you know, she, he'd like received a commendation from Clinton or something mm. like that. And she said, Bill, yeah. you do not want to be using him as a character reference right now. And that got dropped. Sorry about that. That's all right. It's a cute thing. You know, I written, I wrote so damn many lines for this that yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's fine to lose some. Possibly hanging on the walls of my home. And also I mean, Patrick's use of the word pedophile. Yes. It was really like, you know, we discussed about this is the most abusive word in the human language and, and so he kind of spits it out with this taste and then I, I great you know again really good reading here's one of those cuts i was talking about coming up um if you're interested anybody there it is there bang look at that breaks all the rules of cinema it works perfectly actually gives it an edge too they fight back and you completely lose control and you hurt them. And really it just came down to the fact that we didn't have enough footage to, to cut anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, we just didn't, you know, what you what, what we shot is, is what we had pretty much. You know, we did two or three takes, five maximum, except for the one poor shot that we did 11 takes of. Those letters are mine. This is a line that always gets a nice response. It was yours when you invite a teenager into your home. At the beginning of this film, when an audience watches it, they're often not sure, gee, you know, is it is it okay for us to laugh at, at uh, moments in this scene? This is kind of a, an intense film, but there's also funny lines. And one of the lines that always gives them a certain permission is that line about nothing nothing is yours when you invite a teenager into your home. Maybe it was the music or, I don't know, maybe it was the bullshit. Yeah, and, that, and then very quickly they laugh at that line because mm -hmm. they've given permission. It's, it's interesting. I've mm -hmm. noticed that too. They, they, that's the first laugh, and then they quickly, they, oh, we can laugh, and they laugh at that too. They're so masterfully deadpan here, that little, a little mm -hmm. mad, or a little angry, are we? Mm. Yeah, both of them underplay here so, so expertly. Okay. And this is one tiny little bit of ADR. The only one in the entire... Oh, one of two in the entire movie. I'm going to point the other one out. This bit here. I can't go where you want to take me. You're just not the person I thought you were. There you go. That was not shot in the stage. That was 80 yard later. Mm. I, I don't even know why that was done. It was a request, and, I, and it didn't bother me, and there were so many other things going on at the time that I was okay. You know, what, what, was the, what was the reason for that? Can you remember? Uh, we rewrote the text of the letter at some point, so yeah. I don't know whether it was about that, but at some point the original text for that letter she reads felt a little not as incriminating or juicy as it might possibly be. I love this. What he, just, he just shakes the thing off his head, that bah, because he's so fucking annoyed with her at this point, but he's just trying to keep his cool because he can't do anything. 
and the colors there that came through. We had to pump so much light through there that it was like hot as hell. So a lot of that sweating, you know, we did, we did wet them down, but a lot of that sweating was actually real. Absolutely. And this scene is so quiet. Well, one of those too. cuts, look at that, jump cut, but it works perfectly. Good job, Art. Sorry. A wonderful thing about this film, David, is how you know you let so many scenes be done without underscoring, and the underscoring, the the work that Harry and Molly did in scoring this yes. film is so wonderful. But part of what's wonderful is that it's so spot on and judicious. Mm. Yeah, we. I mean, one of the things I didn't want to do was was fill this film with music. I'm I mean, so the, thankful. And there's like, I think there's something like nine minutes of music in the entire film, including the total ending credits. I remember I remember one of the producers going, oh, there's only nine minutes of music. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it works. You've seen it, and this is like, you know, Sundance time. Mm -hmm. but, but, but where's all the other music? And it's like, there isn't any, <laughs> you know? Really? It's all sound where's design. the soundtrack album? You know, because, you know, we, quite frankly, we you know we, we tried the, the, the sections where, you know, there's action and there's dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum music, and, you know, it's more powerful to hear the... <laughs> Absolutely. A breath because it's more human and it's just as it's less melodramatic, it's more real. And part of what was essential was, was, was the reality that was definitely there in the performance. And I was damned if I was going to melodram make it into melodrama by, mm -hmm. by sticking some, some kind of music that wasn't needed. It over makes it. it harder for an audience because they, ha they, they don't have the performance modulated and put at a safe distance for them by mm. a lot of soundtrack. And also it doesn't tell them what they should be thinking either. Exactly, exactly. Know, which, I mean, that's the thing. They have to really yeah. engage with it because yeah. their homework hasn't been done for them by a soundtrack. That said, here comes some dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum <laughs> music. But yeah. again, uh, Molly Nyman, uh, daughter of Michael Nyman, who, again, like the, the title people, just came to us and said, we'd love to see the film and and, right. and, and, and do it. And they, we showed them the film and, and they said, we just love to do this. And, and so, so proud of their and, work on this. And we this hadn't got any money and they did it. I, I, I've told people too, you know, people have said, well, how do you how do you shoot a film like this with, with just two characters? And I said, well, you get a director like David Slade who can take a girl going through a cabinet and make it look like the born identity. I mean, it's. You know, oh the, come on! The, I got to give some some respect to, to Art Jones. We talked oh, a lot. Oh, I of, absolutely. We talked mean. a lot about this sequence here. For instance, is is when do you show the gun? Mm -hmm. At the very last second. Look, no, he didn't show the gun there. Still no, no gun. You pace it out. And there, and when you see it, huh? Whatever. Let's throw it away. Bang! There you go. There it goes. The she gun. was asked at one point, "Well, why, why would you just throw the gun away?" And and her response was, uh, she remarked, "Well, it occurs to me." that this is maybe the gun that was used to kill Donna Maurer, and I don't want to touch it. And you can see a little bit of that in her face. I remember yeah. talking about that with her on the day. About and, of course, she's not expecting him to get loose. He has this period where he starts to possibly, possibly, possibly work a foot loose, but, mm. but she's not expecting that. This rock garden, mm. uh, funny thing about this script was that uh, David Higgins and I thought, if nothing else goes right... We could always just max out our credit cards and I'll grab a DV camera and we'll just shoot this in David Higgins's house uh, because David has this sort of retro Richard Neutra style house up in the Hollywood Hills. And so, in fact, the script was written to be shot initially in David Higgins's house. And so that's why the rock garden was part of the script, because it's it's a part of the architecture of his home.
And I remember talking with Alan also about that search sequence and going like, like, what's the most obvious place? The giant tube on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the sequence, she's like, sm she's like bashing her head, going, "Oh, why didn't I just start here?" Exactly. You know, and we exactly. kind of we talked a lot about impro we improvised a little bit around that, and and eventually got to like you know try and just go, "Oh." You know, it's where do I look? Oh, the giant tomb on the floor. Um, anyway, I love the way this turns around. I remember the first cut R. Jones did. He actually cut out the shot, the, 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 the crucial shot here, and I physically picked him up and shook him and said, <laughs> what are you doing, man? What are you doing? <laughs> you know? And then he put the shot in, and, and, and um, you'll see the shot coming up any second now. Um, but you are angry. You gotta let it out somehow. So you find a guy. And just hiding behind that little doorway, it was just like, just give us something to hide behind. Go on, if you hide behind that doorway, Ellen, it gives you a little bit of vulnerability that the audience will, will, will respond to. And, and she was great. She just hit her marks perfectly each time. But you gotta let that anger out somehow. Perfectly symmetrical on her face there. Patrick also famous for hitting his marks on this Very shoot famous because thing. he's a because he's a Broadway trained actor. He can hit a mark like nobody's business. Yeah, he just like he goes like a fucking laser head automaton. He just would hit every mark. Me and your Willems were like astonished. Yeah, without times. ever compromising the performance. Yeah, you'd be like, "What do you want a little lint to my eye? Like, like where is it?" Uh, where, where, tell me where it is. Okay, there, there. Okay, good. I'll make sure that when I say that line, it's there. And there it is. Look at it. That's glint in his eye. We talked about that glint in his eye. And mm -hmm. he, hit it, he hit the mark. <laughs> and this is the shot I'm talking about. I was talking about. I just want you to look at what you're doing. The way everything just goes. Oh, I'm going to cry. Yeah, this is where, again, you know... Uh, between performance and and lighting and and the way that the shot has been framed, her face here, you know, completely different from the Ellen we saw fifteen minutes ago. And I'm gonna cry and how? Oh, no, I'm not. You're fucked. This was f such a fun sequence to write. I just love looking at this. I'm so fucked. I'm just being like beaten up at every turn. Teenage girls, put them at ease so they can trust you with all their secrets. And he's actually tied up there as well. You know, one of the things I'll say for Patrick is mm -hmm. that he wanted to be tied at all times just so that he could feel, you know, um, the, 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 what we, the real helplessness yeah. of it. And he it, said a lot, you know, like an ounce, of, he'd take an ounce of pain, turn it into a pound of pain, and that's how, you know, he would try and base his performance. But, you know, God, it must have hurt. But it would be very typical, yes, for an actor to, you know, ask for stunt ropes on this. And frankly, I would encourage an actor to ask for stunt ropes on yeah. that because why put yourself through that? But, but, and maybe you would do that if you were shooting this as a studio feature where mm. you would be spending, you know, four or five days on each scene. Mm. But because Patrick knew he didn't have to pace himself to make a performance last for four or five days because he knew, all right, I just... Today's shots, I've got to, I've got to get through them, and then once we do them, I won't have to come back to them. That enabled him to really go for it. I love this little. This is a great reaction. Yeah. This is something that always gets audience responses. And the well. second shot too, where you, where Art found this little sweat bead that looks like a tear running down his cheek. Mm -hmm. hmm. What year would have that have been? 
There was much debate about the number of beeps and, 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 and being accurate to telephone numbers here in the sound design. Just so people know. Right, right. <laughs> uh, it's just these mundane things that drive people like me crazy. I wake up at night going, how many beeps? Oh, and I'm sweating and I'm like, oh, God, yes, we got it. We got the right number for a telephone number. And here's the big, big issue here. Like, we, this is the, that's my handwriting on the, on the thing. That's my only, like, cameo And there was appearance. debate about whether she should say how sentimental you are, whether mm. it was maybe a little too formal. But, mm. uh, you know, but it is a striking thing mm. about him. I mean. And there's a reflection in the eye, which is actually digitally put in again. And what is that reflection? It's actually, you don't want to know. I always stare at it going, I, I wonder. I'll tell you later. All right. Um. Because it kind of you don't want to know. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, I mean it in a, in a plot sense. You don't want to know. I love this little tear running down his cheek. Man, look at that. Oh. What makes this um, girl so special? There's Aaron again. That Nighthawks logo that was um, photoshopped in by a friend of mine for nothing, and and just uh, you know, this was a very big family mentality when we were making this film, and I think by the second weekend. Pretty much everyone had given up their money for points because we made it for was, like under a million dollars. There was such a spirit among the crew. Love what's coming up here. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the following shot after. I know, Bang! Yeah. Yeah. Ow, she goes down. And um, there we had to, had to digitally paint out the stunt choreographer, Eric Brennan, who was there for safety, and he, he moved the table. So Ellen was never in danger in that shot at all. It just looks like it. Yeah, now talk about yeah. him jumping on the bed. Here. Yeah, this is great because it looks like I was almost like, God, we should do this again. But he, he just got it first time. He just did this whole thing and he just bang up again. And I'm like, my God, because I was so worried about how the hell he would do that, and whether it was even physically possible. And he just pulled it off. <laughs> and the, and it had to be cut into different yeah. shots so that people would believe it was harder for him. Yeah, we actually had to, we did retakes. Specifically, I love this, and this is one of these these examples where we could have gone dum 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 on the music, but the breathing, really, you know, cut with the point of view shots. Oh, there we go! I remember when 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 Patrick saw with the rehearsal of this, we 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 stopped and choreographed this for safety, and um, you know made sure there were all kinds of signs in case there was any trouble. He was just like, oh, it's so nasty, you know. And, and the gun goes off here. What's really so important is that as soon as she realizes she's safe, as soon as that gun drops and he's out, she pulls the saran wrap away because it is not as scared as she is. It is not her intention to kill him. No. One of the you know one of the tragedies of having to cut a film to length here as well is that um, where this scene ends is really not where I would like it to end. Um, but we just you know. It was out of balance to let it run, but she performed. She starts to bang herself against That's the wall. Right. That's right. But then she goes on to do this wonderful piece of performance, which we just couldn't cut in. There was no room for it, and it, it just kind of threw out the the, 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 the the pacing of the film. But So we just made it go bang, abrupt, like that. And again, Art Jones forced me. And, it's um, a great I, I thank I thank him for it because, you know, as now a director, Lions, sometimes you need distance. Lionsgate really responded to this image of these... These blinds here, these Those shades. damn blinds. Those damn blinds that drove me insane because they 
would would rattle and move around like sometimes, and then they'd exactly. be still others. But and, ironically, and, and we, that we glued them down in a, the end. Ironically, that became such a big part of the marketing campaign that the, it was a central image in the trailer yeah. and and in one of the posters yeah. as well. And it was just the heat from the lights that were making them move around. By the way, just um, uh, a little retro note there, not real ice. Right. Valuable to know. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain there are certain limits to, to the method. Um, and um, ice, real ice would just not have really of been course. nice. I, I may be... The production company that was formed uh, the, the to be the entity uh, funding the film was called Ice Pack Pictures because of that. Yeah, I wish they'd have picked a better name. I, you know, these someone decides these things off in an office somewhere in Seattle, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. I love the way this is lit. We, 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 we just, you know, the exposure readings for this were just like so underexposed, yet we knew, you know, and I from, from the experience, that we were going to get some skin tone back and thought we could lift it a little bit. And it was just, but on the light meter reading, it was just like, Black. Yeah, you know, so we use a lot of looking into the light and lens flares to, to actually lift the, 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 the expressions on their faces. Um, it just came out really nice, the sequence here, particularly the shots of, of Alan. Yeah, or, or maybe you had something to hide. And it's just this real, again, you know, it's one of those things where how do you get her from one side of the table to the other? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when you haven't got enough coverage, she's got to get to around to one side toward the other and, and, and again Art Jones did a phenomenal job in finding sneaky little ways of, of, of getting her from one place to another. You know somebody said once that they thought wow how did she get this hospital gurney there and and obviously this is his dining room table so I just and want to go on it, record yeah. as saying she didn't bring she didn't a bring hospital a gurney Yeah, the fold up gurney that was enough. in her bag. That's right. Yeah. No. She does have quite a number of things in that bag. Uh. You know, we didn't say earlier. Oh, here's, here's that line. Oscar. Roman Polanski, Roman Polanski winning an Oscar. Right, to which uh, I have to give credit to David Higgins because he asked me that one day. We were talking about, you know, well, what are the consequences that somebody faces? And, and David said just that line. Well, didn't Roman Polanski just win an Oscar? And, and I thought, you know, we are absolutely using that. Uh, a loner who thinks he's pretty damn right. Powerful. I love this. We just sit on his reaction. And uh, again, an editorial choice, you know, that, 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 that I was very, very keen on was just really what brings suspense is just the other person who's mm -hmm. not doing the talking, the listening. And you just don't see enough of that. And so, you know. This is one of these Here, key I, I took, moments. Here, it, it took ages for me to, to, to get, well, not ages. Like it this. took a little bit for She just didn't want to put a face on there, and she just didn't understand why she would, but eventually she did, and I thank her for it because uh, of the reflection in the in the, in the the thing there. Just a little This is where an audience thing. starts to really tense, and, you know, every time there's a screening, you know, the ripples start to move through the people house. People laugh a lot, a lot here, uh, too, but it's macho People laughter. laugh nervously. Uh, men start to cross their legs, wonder, oh my gosh, what film exactly did we walk into? Successful castration. No! Please. Okay. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll be like repeating the dialogue all the way through this film. <laughs> uh, the, the, the editor and I, when we're cutting this, we would hear the dialogue all around us as we were cutting. Sure. Dear Janelle, my name I want to say something about this note. Sometimes people ask me, well, you know, Haley is so smart. Does a 14-year-old really talk like that? And I want to say, 
Well, yes, of course there are 14-year-olds that talk like that. I've known them, you've known them. Uh, but this letter, this is what most people want to think 14-year-olds talk like. And you know, she's putting on this persona here. And here I put in a little like, smiley face icon. You know, she's made this like premeditated decision. All right, I'm going to sound innocent and moronic here, and I'm going to say love and peace and mm. use expressions like any who. This romantic misconception that we have as adults that, that kids. Exactly. Like People are in huge denial about uh, the, uh, about the li what the lives of, of teenagers are really like. There's a book that's just come out on the market this week uh, called The Notebook Girls, and uh, its teenage authors went on the Today Show to help Katie Couric process. Oh my gosh, you know, do teenage girls really go through these things? Because in some way, people don't want to know. No, as there is that. Oh, I just want to talk about something here. The only other piece of ADR in the entire film, ADR for people who don't know, is when you go into a studio like we are now with a microphone and you you you, you record the dialogue afterwards, and often. Hollywood movies are full of it, you know. Some of them mucho appreciated. I'm English and I said mucho, and she's Canadian and she said mucho. So we ADR the ooh, no noise, and we just inserted the ooh for mucho, and it's like moo as in moo cow, you know. And that's the only other piece of ADR in the entire film. I just wanted to draw your attention to that because our producers were so concerned of the mispronunciation of the word mucho. There's actually later, there's there's one little moment that I wish we could get just half a second of ADR on. I'll talk to you about it later. It changes you when you hurt someone. Can't go back. I, you know, we are where we are. So this is another sequence that uh, we, we always get interesting response to in the audience when, when, when she says, oh, that's so thoughtful. You don't want me to do this for, for my benefit. Yeah. You want to remember this day when you're with a guy on a date, on your wedding night? Because I promise you, you will. Don't do this. This scene here, particularly, we had this issue where we had a negative cut and it came back looking like someone had cut it with a hamster. Uh, it, it had dust and dirt all over it. And we ended up having to get this, this one-off Swedish box um, that, that was this, um, like, experimental and there was only one in the world and Jean-Claude tracked it down and, and got them to send it to him and and they sent it to him because he's you know such a well-known colorist right and um look at it it's perfect there's not a single bit of dust in there but this this box cleaned up all of it do people often cut things with a hamster is that i don't know what happened i think they cut the egg with a hamster then they <laughs> threw it in a room with some cats and some dogs that's really and then, remarkable um, and then they took a shower with it by the looks of it that when it came back but, i had you know, no idea the veterinary approach to editing that it is you know well that's just the neg cutters they, that's after the editing's been met done you know they cut the negative uh, right um in 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 accordance with the you know the edit decision list the edl in uh, tech speak, uh, there it was again. That's that, that damn one shot. It just looked like a snowstorm. Stop. Sometimes we're asked by journalists, you know, wh what are you saying to uh, 
to pedophiles with this film. And, you know, we didn't actually make this film to actually send a message to pedophiles. But I suppose if we're going to talk about that, that last shot of her. Where she Again, not real eyes, right sorry. Yeah. But that last shot of hers where she just looks at the camera and says, don't. I think that's that's pretty clear. Yeah, there's a moment later that I want to talk about too, which has a similar sentiment. What she says about castration, this is all true, and this is all research that we did for the film. Mm. You know, actually, um, with bulls, what they do is they just put a big elastic band on, and eventually they, they just drop off. Right. This is the bleach. Well, here we are to the bleach. And I turned the bleach bottle around because if you saw the other side, it said bleach in huge letters. It's like Acme bleach. <laughs> the Roadrunner's bleach. Yeah. <coughs> I love this line here. Does your mother know you cut off men's balls? We did a retake and I was like, come on, put more, like, you know. More you know, kind of. I'm so lucky because it's the sort of line that you know an actor could easily take so badly, and he just does that so yeah, it's so just well. Like, your mouth full of bleach, you know. Just give it some more. And the science fair lines here, all, all sometimes they lose that question of Jeff's because they're still laughing at the science fair line, yeah. and then they slow down long enough to listen to this. Was I born a cute, vindictive little bitch, or? Society make me that way. I love that she's getting into nature nurture discussion. I go back and forth on that. I go know. back and forth on that. That and that's, always gets that's, a laugh. That's a big question in this film. You yeah. know, who is she? What what did make her this way? Mm. And that's something that we leave for you. People ask sometimes, well, you know, what is Haley's backstory? Mm. And and uh, it's something that we're not actually going to discuss because we want you to decide what Haley's backstory is. What talk me out of it? I also want to say here, look, you see how as purple his face is. Um, no makeup. He really went through it. And also there you see that he was actually wearing this kind of little pink jockstrap thing so that so there was no nudity, um, though it's really, really well hidden, just so that those of you who are uncomfortable with that kind of thing know. Um, she, didn't ha she didn't have to actually, you know, look at his bollocks. Um, Great, great performance there, though, by Patrick, of having, That's right. having alcohol pulled on your recently shaved balls. I have to numb you out a bit more, okay? Again, not realize. I'll be right back. This next scene, oh my God, I, I, this next scene I personally find so painful to watch. And when we were shooting it, um, there's this moment in the middle of it where he just went limp. And I was like, I was about to shout cut, and then he started moving again. And um, I talked to him, and he goes, yeah, I think I passed out. And, you know, and again, we, it, it'll come after this little sequence right. here. And, now, this um, sequence again, was originally a, a gardener across the street, and uh, we'll talk more about why that changed later, but there's Sandra Oh, her first appearance, for those of you who were going, where, where is Sandra Oh in this film anyway? Yeah. Those we did not the DVD for Sandra Oh. We did not know that when we shot this film, which was nearly two years ago, that Sandra Oh would go on to be, you know, the huge star of Grey's Anatomy that she has become. We, mm. we just knew she was that an actress that, that we just adored. And um, we were lucky in that Ellen had worked with her, and there was a mutual respect there. And and when she knew that Ellen Page was in the in the movie, she said, "Yeah, sure, I'll come down for a day and, and shoot," you know. And I'll talk about that because it's a really funny anecdote that that goes with that little sequence. 
The first time I saw the cut of this, I found myself literally swinging yeah, in my chair I mean, myself, going, this. oh, help him, help him get over there. Yeah. And it was really pain. I mean, you know, it was emotionally draining to shoot and this stuff. And it's so far, just so you know, close and yet so far away. I love this little note. And he, just the way he uses his, his watch, which is totally Patrick's idea to, to just knock. It's such an unnerving sound. You know, his, his watch knocking against the table. And one day we had to like send someone desperately for his watch because he'd accidentally forgotten it, which is, you know, which you would do in the middle of all this man. And the way that she left and came back, you know, some people uh, think that the torture is what she's about to do. But, but a big part of that is the setup of maybe you're going to be able to escape. Oh, no, you're not. Maybe you're going to be able to escape. Oh, no, you're not. That that constant letting him glimpse a little daylight and then taking away taking it away is what wears him down again and again to the point where the film will end the way it does oh i i love that little sequence also where she she says is that what you think i want to do kill you and he says isn't it and she says close and that again is is set up there just to to give you a little hint, start you thinking about how she actually already knows how this film will end. Oh, yeah, here's the sequence you can watch. Um, you know, we had to have something on that monitor playing, and um, I personally morally had a big problem with using medical footage because it's someone else's body, and I just I'm just not comfortable with that. I don't think it's correct. So, you know, that left only one option, which was to shoot something. And my DP was like, no, I'm not going to shoot that. <laughs> and so in the end... Oddly enough. In the end, you'll see a credit, um, Huevos Double, on the, on the, on the titles, um, which was uh, by Alex Dorn. And he was uh, someone who, who came in, laid on that table, and I don't want to say too much more, but I lit it and shot it myself and got my hands bloody and it had to be done and somebody had to do it but that footage comes later i i i couldn't do anything do you want to talk about the story brian because i know that the, the whole issue of you know the, the rehearse story well sure i mean there was more than one story that had been written for this sequence initially i wrote a story that Jeff tells because he's he is thinking about, you know, how do you get her on your side? You have to share something personal about yourself. But that's still a sort of calculated decision. And we all have these stories about tragedies that we tell. But if we tell them too often, then we start to realize, you know, well, we're being a little manipulative if we go into, you know, the death of our friend under some circumstances. And uh, so for him to come out with a story here is a very calculated decision. The initial story that I wrote had to deal with a kind of uh, a schoolyard incident with some girls. And, and it wasn't a bad story, but it wasn't the best story it could be. And this was where actually I was given a development note that was very helpful. Uh, this was before we had the actor. And, and uh, you know, someone suggested, you know, if you want to if, if look at getting the strongest actor than we can, then let's find a story here that Jeff tells that really raises the stakes. And I wrote actually four or five stories and gave them to the producers to give them their choice. And this was the story that they responded to. 
Yeah, I like this one. I, I'm just gonna also, I'm just gonna tangent here in a second. So you see, I've just been staring at his purple hands now for which for are really purple. And they're really purple. That's really the blood being cut off from his hands. Again, we didn't have the money to to. to but his performance was just so brave here. He was just he was very brave, I willing actually, to go to places that most actors would be very wary to go. It was the only time in the shoot where I think on the fourth take, and you guys remember this is incredibly long takes, and I'm going to talk about that in a second and the approach, he actually one time said to me, I can only do this one more time. Okay, well, and um, and who know, could blame him? Who can blame him? And, um, you know, so, the, you know, originally this was all going to be one continuous take all the way through, and it pretty much is. There's a few cuts here and there. And the, the logic now being she's in total control, and we're not going to show you anything else other than what you have to see. And we're not going to show you something too gratuitous. And um, we're, we're going to keep you on the edge of the seats by just showing you a little bit of something here and there. And um, we, we did this with um, two cameras on two sets of tracks and a wall that hinged and, a, and some very, very, very tight choreography. And I think, you know, in the end, we, we, I think we covered like 24 pages of dialogue in two days, which I just have to give absolute respect to the actors for being able to memorize all that dialogue and actually put the emotion into it right. as well and just give I love her face here as she just is yeah. just overwhelmed by she cannot believe look at her sneer yeah. she cannot believe that even now he's still protesting but there's a wonderful moment coming up which I want to talk about um, which was a, just a, a thing that happened on set um, um, I know what you mean that comes after his little breakdown that comes up here and so what happens here is the camera goes around the corner and as it hits the shallow, the, the, the depth of focus goes to mush. It's picked up with an invisible cut again by the brilliant Art Jones that takes you through to another camera which rolls out. And that camera will actually eventually go all the way to the sink and come back. And so this entire thing was just basically shot on these two cameras um, pretty much live, which just seemed the right way to do it, really, just the honest way to do about it. about sending that email to Janelle. You changed the subject. You know, just to not give you any, and I think it was that the, the producers said, "Look, please, 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 put us, put a, put us, put another camera on their faces." You know, just to have something to cut to. And I kind of protested a bit, but I was like, "All right, okay." This is where some of those close-ups come from. This is, I think, one of the bravest shots in the whole yeah. sequence. That he just really goes for it here. I mean, on the page, you know, I could only convey so much of yeah. this. You know, there's a lot of shouting and yelling, but for somebody to take this and make it so their own here. I love what's coming up. I just want to talk about what's coming up next here. It's just this shot with her back. And it's totally improvised, this next thing. I mean, this, of course, that was. But she actually turned her back because his screaming was so painful to her that she actually was crying and she had to wipe the tears off her face and, and I think again that's it's a um, testament to the human being that she is as well I, um, and this is always a big moment for an audience too I shouldn't have let you think there's a way out of this when they realize oh my gosh they're not kidding an audience has been thinking yeah. well there's there's going to be some way out of this there's going to be they're not really going to and when she closes that door that time and says no it's happening now that's that's a, a sobering moment. And there are a few little laughs here, but then when the music starts and everything, really, yeah. yeah. We do have a few little laughs here, and, and again, they're the sort of thing that because the scene is so tense, you need to have those laughs. 
There was a couple of lines that were cut, but it was really actually a very good thing that they were cut. Uh, there was a little sequence in, in the first draft where she thought about, you know, those surgeons on TV when they do uh, operations, they have music playing, and maybe I should play some music. And it was, you know, fun for her to think about. So what should we play, Supertramp? Uh, you've lost that loving feeling. But the fact that this operation takes place without any soundtrack in the room, but just with this incredible music from from Harry and Molly, is yeah. such a smart decision. And we, we, we faded it away and faded it in, but um, you know, I guess because there's only nine minutes of music in the film, there won't be a soundtrack album. But um, if there were, then we we, we were going to entitle this piece "Lament for Lost Testicles." <laughs> there could be a soundtrack MP3, yeah. just something that we podcast. Particularly towards the end, you'll hear it, and I'll, I'll bring up the title again when we get towards the lament part. The Foley work here is also something that an audience, when they hear this this little viscous yeah. scraping and pulling, yeah, we, we really toned that down. I mean, I mean, it was really nasty to begin with, and if we think what's there now, if you is, think this is hard, yeah. yeah we told that. Uh... That Aunt Denise story, very uh, well. That camera again. We're still in that kind of setup of total control and just these blocked-off shots or cameras that are, are tracking but are on a certain eye line of, of Haley's and are, are specific to the fact that she is in absolute total and utter control of the situation. Only to the end do we, do we actually break that. And, and we break it quite deliberately, but you'll see. Why don't we just say right, okay? And Ellen did research on surgery so that, you know, when she when she fakes him out here, she does it partly because she has, has thought about how to make it convincing that mm. you are performing an operation. So here Haley is acting as much as Ellen is acting. Oh, God, there's that footage. We, which we keep very carefully just out of focus. Yeah. Because what you imagine is scarier than anything we could show you. Indeed, though, um, I mean, we had to digi digitally put that in because of the depth of focus and everything else, and the, the, the lumen, the, how bright the, uh, the the monitor actually is. TVs are rarely bright enough to match film lights, so um, so the poor effects guys had to see that material in all its gory gory detail. Here, this is you know again, Patrick being so selfless. Most actors would not let themselves look this sweaty, you know, when you're on a screen. Uh, there's a certain expectation that you're going to look perfect all the time. Yeah, and he looks like hell in place. I remember at one point saying, you know, you just let snot come out of your nose, and I kind of liked that, but I, I just wanted to make sure that he was okay because, you know, we had a long way to go still. And um, he's like, you know, that's, that's what it'd be like. You know, I'm okay, great. Absolutely. Stay with me. Stay with me. You know, you got 18 days, you can't get up. You just can't really... Not that there ever was a moment, but that, that you just can't get upset with anyone in day 12. So, look, this is for the best, all right? Okay, you're entering a whole new world now, all right? You know, one of the things I'll say also, again, with great respect to Jean-Claude Soray here, is that we have this color transition from this kind of almost flat palette to this incredibly contrasty, really sharp, palette which goes over like 20 minutes so that you can't see it you just feel it and um it was just you know tremendous work actually for a colorist to do that and um one of the decisions we made earlier was to make this modernist house with these block colors 
like I say, in homage to 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 a particular fashion photographer, and and uh, but also it was great because it gave us these really strong primaries that we could just you know get hold of and and and, and change with the mood of the film, and and that was an important thing to me that the color almost became this third character along with the sound design. Um, I think we had something like talking about sounds. I think we had something like five different sounds for Haley's moods. Um, <laughs> there's these little whistling wind noises and things that could sound like a fridge, but were actually hums to these noises. And you know, Richard Taylor, who um, works a bit with David Lynch, was fantastic in that. Oh, here we go. This is the lament. The ending of the lament for lost testicles. All right. Uh, now this sequence here is also so important for Haley because, you know, it's not just what she's done, but now she needs to make sure that he envisions what life is going to be like now. You know, in the same way that one of his victims has to always live with what he's done to her. In this brief period, he's going to go through a whole future life envisioning. Okay. What's it going to be like to be a victim for the rest of my life and to, to live with this? And when she mentions this website, this website scene, yeah. oh, we, oh, we she missed just the website. Yeah. Uh, I will say there, I found a website like that when I was researching this, and I, I Googled castration techniques. And I found to my shock, yes, a very nice, friendly website. It was not called unixquestions.com. That is a fictional web address. But, uh, but yes, I found a website that offered a lot of help and advice to people who have either been castrated or, even more shockingly, have castrated themselves. I, I'm going to actually chime in here as well and, and just be a little more mischievous and say that um, we were doing it, my girlfriend was doing a web search for like HD, which we didn't shoot, we shot this on film, and it was a misconception in a lot of the press, and she just came across this website, which was a kind of fetishistic website about um, castration. There and, are... and one of the quotes in it was, at last, a movie for us. Oh, my gosh. And I, and I, wanted, I was, wanted to offer that to Lionsgate as a possible poster, <laughs> you know. Well, um, you know... You know, the castration fetish website, like, it, it is at a last, curi- a movie for us. It is a curious thing that there are people out there who do have a sort of fantasy of how they might be maimed, but... That is not our target audience, please yes, let me well say. Yes, well said. Well said. That was just me being mischievous. I do apologize if no, I no, caused no, offense no. there to anybody in the audience. As we watch her grind his balls in a meat grinder, in a, in a, in a kitchen sink grinder. I guess they uh, weren't brass. There was some discussion about, gee, you know, should we have those lines out at the window with the with the squirrel and whether, you know, he's mm-hmm. too much of an environmentalist to let that happen. But again, it was the sort of thing that we just felt like, you know what, you need a certain comic, dark comic release mm. after what's happened. Indeed. But here she comes back and makes it clear just how grim and serious this really is and reminds him again what the rest of his life is going to be like. But I suggest you track down the guy who did because well, he has no idea what's waiting for him. Yeah, you really need to rehydrate. Jeff, please, come on. I love that expression on his face there. Just that, like, I'm so fucked and, like, nothing matters anymore. Come on. 
One more thing about the, the operation is that people sometimes take her text literally. You know, they, they think that when she's asking, you know, can you feel that, she's asking something about the operation. But what she is really doing is checking and making sure that the con is still on, that, that he doesn't actually understand what is happening to him yet, that she's still putting it over on him. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, that's something she's been asking from the beginning of the film. In the opening scene, she asks him, does my face lie? And people think, oh, she's just being a cute, innocent little girl. But in fact, she's doing opposition research. She's testing. You're going to start wondering, do your publishers know? Do your models know? Does Janelle know? God, I'm sweating. <laughs> Look, I'll go take a shower, and then I'll be out of your life, okay? I'll find you. Don't make threats. This is one of my favorite moments, because characters always make threats when they're still helpless. And, <laughs> and I just, I never understand yeah, no, that. It's Why like, would you say that when someone yeah. would could I still has them, still has you at their mercy? I loved that when I read it in the script. It was like, you know, it's like, oh, let's go into the haunted house. And, you know, it's that, it's that yeah, cliche. really. You know, and, and part of our like, mandate through the film was, you know, if we find a Hollywood beat, let's just eradicate it, you know, um, because this is this, we're doing this for this budget and it's so hard to do and it's because we're making exactly the film we want to make. Exactly. And, um, I like, yeah, I love that, you know, don't make threats when you're still tied down bloody idiot and here we go um, um, I'm just going to point out a little bit of foley here just so people feel a little better about things but this is where you get the bit of snot that I talked about earlier and there it is and um, the camera continues to go past and um, we actually there's a moment there where we actually digitally painted out a bit of his little jockstrap thing um, because you could see it, and um, here we go. Hear that sound? I always thought it was a bit much, but um, no, but it helps. No, but it, helps. I, I, it helps that moment so much, and the fact that you and can here we see go. like a little stripe here on we go. his hand. From now what? we're out of that mode. We're out of the mode we were in now. Now he's free. Now the camera is in a totally different mode, and um, but I guess the blood. Um, and again, a testament to your Willems in, in, in this, you know, one of the days when we were shooting, we had a handheld body supposed to turn up and, and um, it just didn't. And so we were stuck with this Panaflex, which is like the size of half a car. But the sequence that's about to happen just had to be done handheld. And, and he just threw the camera on his shoulder and, you know, and did it. Not this shot here, but something coming up. I'm all here, he's saying. He's saying I'm all here. So for those of you who didn't didn't get it when they you saw the film the first time, not actually castrated. <laughs> we wanted to lift that in the sound mix, but we didn't have the money to go back in and do it. So. I love this. this you see those two pigs? That's two. That's um, from a Porky Pig cartoon, and it's pigs carrying sacks. Um, specifically chosen.
And this and, was a gr just a great sequence to write. It was just so much fun to think about him, you know, being torn between, on the one hand, of course you would think, get some damn hell. But on the other hand, with what's been happened to you, you would strike back. I had we were this, this horrifically terrifying screening where the whole audience cheered at this point. There, there was a, yes, there was a, a marketing test screening once in Woodland Hills where, where people went crazy going, get her. It was, that it's was a little, really, little unsettling. Really unsettling. <laughs> okay, all stunts done for real, with the exception of no actual taser. No, a real taser. Oh no, but but obviously you that's know. you see the see the blue flame there. Yeah. That's real. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, real. But obviously not hitting him. That shot so. there was done by a stuntman. Everything else was done by the actors. Wow. Um, and that taser makes a fucking scary noise. I it does. Much. Um, I love this bit of rage at the end. And the cut, and then perfectly. the cut is so important oh, on that little bit of movement. Yeah. No, we were safe at all times, um, and we took the battery out for a lot of that sequence. What was not so safe was editing it. I mean, I think our first cut was like three minutes long, and we got it out <laughs> in for days. And uh, I remember Art Jones and I just grinding our teeth down to the gums, cutting that scene, and. You know, when we eventually got it right, yeah, the, you know, the, he had he had to go and have a beer. The, the, the taser company should like call you to do industrials for them. <sighs> I love this. Oh, this is yeah. There's actually something the, the closest we you know. This is a live taser hit. She actually really hits him. He's wearing a chitin vest, which is uh, protects him from mm -hmm. the from the. But he's wearing a wet shirt, and he just wanted to do it beforehand just to make sure he wasn't going to get like shocked right but that noise all live sound she he's really taking a, a taser hit there um he didn't feel it because we did it safely boof that scares me though the way she that pulls moment the always scares me but I we agree. did it in such an angle that it looked scary but actually there was no way he was going was she was he was going to get get nicked by the, the scalpel oh i'm afraid that she'll get nicked is, is what i'm always afraid of yeah well, she's cut gloves we we we, we, we kind of we'd shot that really fast but um again very safety consciously This was a sequence that, oh, this phone call of hers is arguably the only time that you see uh, Haley where she is not performing. Some people say, you know, well, who is this person? And sometimes the only thing I can say is, well, we know she knows someone named Trace. Here she's writing the suicide note. I love that little look of... Which was also something we tried to be careful about, that we don't give away where we're going yet. Mm. And the same with this phone call, you know, you mm. don't yet have any idea what this phone call is about. So it just tosses another curve at you. You, you, thought, you thought this film was ending, but she's got still more plans. And what the hell are they? This moment, ma'am, but it's a very delicate matter. And this- We just one master tide of this, and we, we shot it from one other angle, but it just, this was the one. This was the one, and this lovely little smile she does, just extenuated by Yo's lighting here. There, little, little smile. There it is again. And um, we just specifically lit it. I mean, we just was like, well, fuck all logic as to where the light's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> just make it look good. Um, now, this sequence was something that actually wasn't written in the script so very clearly, and that we actually needed to write a, a, 
a little bit more to extend and clarify and make sure that people were would understand, well, all right, she moves this guy around, and it's damn hard for her. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, um, the, and the notion that a lot of time has passed in these cuts as well, that maybe it's taken it to a couple of hours to get him up on this thing with this, this, this intricate, you know, rope work that she does. But I love the way this has almost dreamy feel the way that you know he comes around his eyes are glazed and again aunt jones top job and you know what we're leading into the sandra oh so thing so before you talk about sandra i'll talk about the origin of the sequence and uh we received a, a development note at one point that um Haley is so in control so much of the time can can't we do something about that where we would see her uh off her game for a moment. We would see her have to improvise on the spur of the moment. And so uh, that's why Sandra's character came into this, that we thought, well, what if that's not just some gardener that is a bystander in the background when she was outside, but what if, in fact, she's been seen by a neighbor and this neighbor comes over and knocks on the door and starts raising all these questions about, gee, what? It's a little weird what's going on in this house. And actually, <laughs> in her very low-key Lieutenant Columbo way, really challenges Haley to improvise. Not feeling so well. I mean, we're so lucky to get Sandra. She just came in because she was, like I said earlier, she'd worked with Alan, she had great respect for her. But she was just such an honest stand-up person, I gotta say it. And um, the script said Mrs. Takuda, and on the day she goes, well, I feel like a Judy Takuda. And I go, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That, that sounds pretty good. And, uh, you know, well, not any problem with clearance. Like, again, clearance is the thing where you have to check that there is nobody who lives in the approximate area that you're supposed to be shooting so that they don't sue you. And, um, you know, so she was going to be a Judy Takuda, and that was all fine, and so we shot this, and... And I, I think the, 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 the producers uh, panicked a little bit and they were like, ah, coverage, coverage. Uh, um, um, get her to do a line where, where, where she says, Mrs. Takuda. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I don't know, I mean, again, I'm being a bit mischievous, but you just know it's if you shoot it, they're going to make you use it. And um, Sandra and I plotted a little bit. And um, so, um, first of all, she said, you know, the producers asked me to go and ask her to do this coverage line. She said, what, for for, for, for clearance? Tell them they can eat my ass. <laughs> so I went diligently up to the producers, and they said, what did Sandra say? And I told them. And then they came, and they asked her, and she said, okay, I'll do one line of coverage for you. Okay. And so she said, um, and it's at the end of the scene where she says, tell her Judy Takuda said hi. She said, um... And I had the guys, and I'm sorry, David, you know, this is not, no disrespect to you, but this, David Higgins, uh, I had the guys, the crew, ready just to pick up all the cameras and lights and move because we were so behind on this day for reasons I'm not going to go into. Um, and we just had to get out of the setup. And uh, and Sandra, to my great um, happy pleasure, said, did the one take like this, she said, Tell her, Mrs. Atakuda says, hi. And I was like, cut, print, moving on. <laughs> and I gave her a big hug. And, it's a uh, rough day for diplomacy. And I, and I looked over, yeah, it's a rough day for diplomacy. I looked over her shoulder and saw David's smoldering face, and I remember just, oh. um, just, I a just more. feeling a little guilty, but then putting, giving him the bird. 
polar. Right. Did it rain? When this scene was written uh, back a couple of years ago, Girl Scout cookies only cost $3 a box. Now they have gone up to 4 so who was anticipating that? So I always feel a little guilty when she says that, you know, it, uh, it's, it's going to cost $6 because now it should cost 8 Mrs. Takuda is arguably, for me, the most autobiographical character in the script because I do have daughters who sell Girl Scout cookies and I always have to help them deliver them. I am constantly on the prowl for new babysitters and I do have rose bushes in my front yard that I trim. So, In fact, you know, at one point we did say when we were looking for actors and we couldn't find anybody, perhaps it would be Mr. Takuda and that you would play the role. Oh, yeah, because I'd, I'd pass, yeah, sure. I just, can see that. Just just finishing up on the this whole. Is the, we, we got clearance, by the way, for Judy Takuda. It wasn't this a is, problem. This is a fun sequence here, too, where she talks about um, Jodie Foster. And uh, the, the, this one moment here that if we could, if, 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 if we ever found the combination of time and money and actor availability, uh, she says at one point, well, if, if, if everybody who's ever... And what she says is, everybody who's ever molested gives me $5. And it should be, of course, if everybody who's ever been molested gives I me know, $5. I Brian, come on. That's just I, semantics. Everybody I reads it. Everybody reads it go. properly. Anyway, She's a 14-year-old. Fair enough. You know? I didn't kill Donna. Fair enough. I mean, it's really clear. What's so interesting here, too, is how, you know, again, he cannot stop protesting his innocence because he really believes on some level. Now, whether he's done it or not, whether his story at the end is true or not, we're going to leave up to you. But he's he believes what he needs to believe about himself. You've messed up once already. More than once. Mrs. Takuda's made you. Yeah, that sweat all over his face again was real. I mean, he was on his tiptoes. It was He had a safety vest on for the hanging uh, and again you know props to mr 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 wilson he did did the, the stunts they both did all their own stunts here when, once uh, he's loose there's like a little sort of bruise under his ear where the neck uh, where where the that rope was makeup. Was, that's makeup yeah yeah we we we, we gave rope burn makeup we put rope burn makeup on just for yeah you. excellent but um but he was really you know standing on his tiptoes and he was really sweating we rarely had to actually wet him down there ever saw. If everyone who's ever molested sends me five dollars, oh, come on. No, it's fine. All right, we'll let it go. <laughs> I am always fond of this Jodie Foster line. Yeah, me too. I do think that when people, uh, maybe, maybe this is just me living in Los Angeles, but I do think that when people find themselves in incredible circumstances, they sometimes do ask themselves, gee, you know, who would play us in the film version? Who would play you in the film version of your life? Um, we we can have a seminar about that later. I I'd always think Louis Guzman would play me very well. Again, doing all his own stunts, and we painted a little bit of a harness out, but most of it we managed to hide. And again, that was that low budget film thing where you just don't have the money, so we just have to hide it as best and do diligence on the day to get it in camera. But I think it looks great because I mean I watch it and I go, oh my gosh, how is he kept safe during that sequence? Totally safe, yeah. Again. Testament to our fantastic um, um, stunt coordinator, Eric Brennan. Um, 
And this is actually the outside of Eric Brennan's house. Um, he was kind enough to let us shoot at his house and what safer place to do stunts as, yeah, as we so did later than, than than at the stunt coordinator's house. Yeah, we've been in a sound stage in, in Burbank. Which is all these point, interiors. But yeah. now we are in La Crescenta. Mm. You don't want to leave me. But this was a great thing about this film too that we shot it all here in Los Angeles, you know, at a time when people in California are concerned about about runaway production you know we provided a lot of work right here and that was a great thing yeah no it was really it really helped actually get everybody you know involved that were of a great great level out the window there is a translite which we couldn't afford to get made so we hired one and we just found this one corner translite is basically a big giant um, piece of translucent photograph that you backlight and um, and it looks real it just looks like the backyard but we just couldn't it was the only way to do the shot and but all of them had all this like Roman architecture and stuff around so we had to kind of position it in such a way where the Roman Colosseum was just off and then we saw a little bit of leaves and I just I always found that funny that we you kind of went back there and there was this Roman Colosseum but actually on camera it just worked and here's LFO, the band I, I actually worked with once and did a video for in a very early career. That was this their was track. A, this was another sequence that worked in some part due to the fact that initially we thought, if all else fails, we'll shoot this in David Higgins's house. So, you know, I walked around David's house, walked up on the roof and thought about, all right, where are they going to hide? And, and, and uh, you know, how can they play cat and mouse with each other? I bet David would have loved it when you stabbed the shit out of his walls. Well, he's had a lot of renovation done anyway. <laughs> this is real transformation here. I don't know whether it's a romantic notion, but I kind of saw on it, on a Patrick's face this revelation here when we were actually shooting it as a, as a physical thing. This uh, was, he really, he'd really changed at this moment. This was such know. an important moment in the script in order to, again, find the right actor that we needed. We needed to make sure that, you know, th that the character went through a journey and, and a realization about himself. And when we went up on this roof and shooting this on a hot July day in Los Angeles then, and making, you know, making new scene setups and, and line revisions on the fly under the hot sun. Boy, was that fun. Yeah, and the dog that kept barking. One of the nice things actually was that when every now and again the neighbors would come out and say, is everything okay? You know, which was a real pain in the ass for shooting because but, you had to stop. But it was nice that they but were not nice so jaded. You know, That's right. People usually, you know, and, and Sandra O's character is kind of the embodiment of this. People, you, you know, when they hear screaming, they just close their doors, you know. Because there's but, Sandra Oh, and she could have called the police, and she could have investigated further, but no. She asked the questions, she was curious, then she walked away. But it was nice, nice that, you know. But that damn dog that wouldn't stop barking, I tell you, I, I'm a vegetarian, but after a while I was ready to go <laughs> and get, get that dog taken to put down. That was tough. And a plane kept flying over. Toss the knife in the backyard! We did revise these lines a little bit on the fly and it was so important to do that mm. because you know I'm not a writer who feels like you know every single word I write is so precious it's just what's going to work at the moment between these two actors she comes up to a moment here when she says she's every little girl um, that you've ever hurt or touched or killed 
there was an additional line or two about, and we're all back now to cut you off, snip, snip. And, you know, I like those lines on the page, but on the screen, it would just elongate the moment too much. It would be too heavy-handed. Uh, it also references, though, the point that uh, at a, it, it was hard to name this film. Uh, when I was first working on it as an outline, I needed to call it something, and I didn't know what. So for a while, I called it Vendetta, but that was unsatisfying. And so then my next working title for quite a while was Snip Snip, and I was quite attached to that. But uh, David Higgins asked me, uh, could we find a title that evoked that kind of sugar and spice combination, that kind of uh, mix of, of harsh roughness and also vulnerability and innocence, and so hence hard candy. Maybe not the daughter of a med school professor. Maybe not even a friend of Donna Maurer. Here she goes with that line. And when, you know, we cut this. We actually cut it because if you let those lines play out, it's kind of gives him more chance to respond, whereas where we cut it, here. Mm-hmm. Watched. Touched. And hurt. hurt screwed. Killed. Killed. There. You just now, can't respond to that. Exactly. Whereas exactly. As, the, as the dialogue played out, you could respond, and that's that was actually the, the reason we, and we, I, we cut it there. And it was an, absolutely the right decision, because we can't let any more air out of the box here. Here comes Odessa Ray. Stroke, um, Jennifer Holmes. Jennifer Holmes. Well, put on the noose. Put on the noose and jump, and I'll stop it. I love the way we just shot into the sun here, and again, the line meter readings were just like, Wah! off the level, and we just kind of, we knew the stock would hold and pull back. The beauty of shooting film, not DV, whenever you can get the chance. A nice thing about this film, too, was that it shot in sequence, largely, and yeah. so therefore the actors could go on this continuous logical journey. But also, David and his crew wisely made the decision to do the coffee shop scene last, and that was such a smart call because the last two days of a shoot can be so grueling to get through. Yeah. And, and so to have done the grueling stuff first and then come back and do the coffee shop scene where we're having candy, we're having cake, yeah, we're chatting away. Yeah, that was a conscious decision, but it was also a, a, a pragmatic one that we had to go out uh, and shoot on location while they turned the, the house into a coffee shop because we just didn't have the money to build two sets. You know, I love this little... One of my favorite shot in the film is coming up here um, and, and response, and it just kind of sums up the whole film to me, which is Ellen's response here. And it's coming in a second. Another guy. I didn't do it, I swear. I'll tell you his name. It's not this whole thing about Aaron, it's the it's the I don't care line. I just love that. I know his name. I know his name. Jeff. I am fond of the Aaron line too because it's it's a, it's mm. really deeply unsettling to realize oh my god perhaps, perhaps she has done this, done this yeah. before perhaps this not my... this exact thing Yeah Aaron told me you did it before he killed himself <laughs> It wasn't me wasn't me but this is and this line this One more time yes we're not quite done yet we're going to squeeze turn the screw one more time I love this next line here and the shot She goes I don't care I don't care 
and she just so means it. I mean, and Ellen Page, if there are any directors out there who get the chance to work with you, 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 you you'll see what I mean. She puts so much passion Jeff? into every line, and that line there was one of the most honest lines that, 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 that an actress could give. And, and should you care? I mean, you know, whether his story is true or not, you know, isn't, doesn't he find himself admitting to something that ultimately makes him just as guilty that, you know, is, exactly. is, is it excusing him somehow to say that he just watched? That line came out of a discussion very late in the script writing process between me and David Higgins where he asked, you know, you know, what What if there's still the possibility that he's not the perpetrator? And, and he asked, you know, what if she doesn't care? And again, it was the exactly right question at the exactly right moment. I love that look of absolute contempt she gives there again as well. We were so running out of time. The little sun was going down. Oh, God, we were scrambling like hell across this roof to shoot this. Two days on this roof. Um, you know, there's so many films that I thought about when I was mm. writing this, uh, ranging from Ms. 45 to High Plains Drifter. Somebody just the other day mentioned mm. that uh, Agatha Christie's Ten Little Indians climaxes with a character talking another character into uh, uh, into hanging themselves. I just want to interrupt you here. We froze his hands there. I just want to interrupt. I, I just say that he did that jump. That was Patrick. And to get the rope taut, he actually grabbed it and pulled it when he hit the crash mat. But we saw it, and so we actually had to digitally freeze his arm as he right. descended. Now, great moment here that you added, this moment where she sits and just thinks and reflects on what you know, she's done. And we, I just saw Ellen the other day, and I was talking with her, and she said, I didn't even know you were shooting that. And I was like, yeah, I know, we just like stole that because you were just in character. That's yeah. a great moment. And then she walks away. And it yeah. was an early draft where she walks away and she's, you know, she's satisfied. She's pleased with herself. And and uh, then someone, at, I believe it was Michael Caldwell at Vulcan, asked actually, you know, mm. maybe this should have affected her more. And so the, the, the draft that went out to the town said, you know, as she walks away, all the feelings in the world are playing across her face. She was so adamant to get that right, and we did like eight takes, nine takes, I think. Again, it was one of the, and um, she said, like, did we get it? Did we get it? And I said, yeah, we got it. She said, you're not lying to me. I said, we're gonna lie to you. you take two and six. She said, tell me, tell me what it is that you saw in those takes. And I, I told her, and I'm not gonna say what I said, but, um, and she was, at that point, she said, okay, all right. And, and stop crying and... and, and, and Do you have a credit for production dog? Perhaps yeah, Presley. Imagine. A number of people were rather upset that they came after the production dog. I'm sorry. Thanks to all these people. Yeah. I mean, one of the people I didn't talk, well, talk about was uh, Barry Weissman, the first AD, and I have to because... Barry, um, even our caterers, wonderful food. <laughs> Barry came from England, and he's a New York Jewish guy, big, huge man, and, and uh, he slotted himself onto a, an economy seat for me because uh, he was the only person I knew who could schedule this film to shoot in 18 days. And he came with all the passion in the world, and he managed this amazing production. Here's one of my favorite titles. Risk management analyst. How'd you like to be the risk management yeah, like, analyst what was risk for here? hard candy? You know, yeah. talk about a risky film. 
There's a moving picture company who just basically gave us like $5 million worth of stuff for, for nothing. And again, the visual effects, Duncan Malcolm, who basically did all of that hand painting that, that made everything seamless. Um, Richard Taylor, there, brilliant. The Foley work is just Patrick so Garrardi, I gotta say, one of the best uh, sound mixers I've ever worked with in my life. And who really, again, he worked a lot with David Lynch and really was on the same page straight away. And, oh, who else? Moko, we've talked about, did their t fantastic titles. And we should thank our people here today who've been recording us. Yeah, all right, thanks. Panavision were great. They gave us a lot of stuff for very little. LFO, thank you so much. Um, Blonde like Mark Redhead. Bell, Mark Bell, who, who I know, who worked, I worked with, I did a music video for once, and I just wanted that track because it was just so chaotic, and they gave it to us for very little money, and we thanked them because we didn't have any. And all of these people, thank you, all yes. of these people, they are all for various reasons. They all got their thanks, and... Um, it would take me longer than to, to explain why, yeah, but, we, but we'll, they, they all we'll have We'll see if thanks. we can talk them into doing uh, a whole documentary on the special And things. thank you to Kodak. That could happen. Thank you to the Writers Guild of America. Panavision and Kodak, thank you um, for, um, yeah, allowing us to shoot film and not video. MMV Vulcan Productions. And thank you for watching and buying or stealing or downloading this, <laughs> whatever, however the hell you got this DVD. Thank you for watching it. Good night. Good night.